Hey, Bible, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bible Y'all podcast for Friday, January 5th. Happy National Bird Day, which is meant to raise awareness of the destructive bird trade and breeding mills and work to improve conditions for birds in captivity. So don't do none of that, I guess. And I get that a lot of people like having birds for pets and more power to you, but I don't see it because I've been inside chicken coops and they're pretty high on the list of my favorite things to get out of not big on bringing a piece of them into my home. But hey, there's a lot of things I don't understand. Maybe this is one of them. And I have my own theory about animals, cause of course I do. And that is, leave the animals alone. They're fine where they are. They don't need your help. Birds are wild animals, and wild animals don't make good pets. I mean, chickens are domesticated, but only cause we eat them. And the bird people point out that unless owners are prepared to put in lots of work, Pet wild birds can develop pretty bad behavioral problems. I say pick a pet that wants to be a pet, like a dog, which are still a lot of work, but at least they're into it. I had this buddy one time that somehow captured a baby raccoon and decided to keep it as a pet. Bad move. A raccoon's like a 25-pound rat monkey with opposable thumbs. First thing it learned was how to get out of its cage. Second was how to open cabinets and refrigerators and mayonnaise jars couple days coming home to that and the trash panda got put back outside. But if you don't want to listen to me, go ask Tim Treadwell, who Wikipedia calls a bear enthusiast who lived among Alaskan grizzlies for 13 summers. Except you can't because the bears killed him and his girlfriend. Know why? Because they're bears. That's what they do is kill anything that bothers them. So would that bird if it was big enough and your cat definitely would. So the moral of the story Leave the animals alone. Our reading for today is Genesis 11, 1 through 13, 4, Matthew 5, 1 through 26, Psalm 5, 1 through 12, and Proverbs 1, 24 through 28. So if y'all are ready, I used to think it'd be cool to have a pet bobcat till I saw one take down a deer and figured I should maybe reevaluate my decision-making paradigm. But before we get to the reading, let's me and the squad do a review of yesterday's study. Okay, so yesterday on the 4th in the Old Testament, we read Genesis 8-1 through 10-32. And when we left off, they were all in the ark, and the water covered the earth. And I didn't mention it in chapter 7, but in 7-1, God says, come into the ark, because he was already in there. And when they came in, God is the one that shut the door, not them. And Mistler says he doesn't think they could have got out even if they wanted to. <laughs> And as long as we're on the subject of me not bringing stuff up, there's a lot of stuff about this I'm not bringing up. Not because I don't want to, but because there's a lot. And y'all will get bored, and I gotta work tomorrow. Because I know there may be some people listening that either don't believe in all this Bible stuff, or don't know what to say when scoffers challenge them about stuff like 900-year lifespans, which we addressed already, or whether it was a local flood, which we'll get to later. And I'm with you. I get it. I started out making fun of Christians for being so stupid as to believe in God. Everybody knows I'm God. Then I figured Jesus was a great teacher and the Bible was just allegorized wisdom. And long story short, I've changed my opinion lots of times as I've looked more into this Bible thing. And every time I did, it was more toward a literal interpretation of Scripture. Until finally I realized, you know, there's only so many ways you can interpret this stuff. And I'm not saying I'm right. 
But I am saying you don't have to be ashamed of believing the Bible, because there's no scientific reason not to take it literally. And there's nothing in there that's ever been proven wrong. There's plenty that can't be proven at all, and we already covered why that is, because God wants faith for salvation, and if he proves it, there's no faith and no salvation. But just because you don't know the answer doesn't mean there isn't one. If a scoffer asks you a question you don't know, what you do is say, I don't know, and then ask them, what was the counter-argument when you looked it up? And maybe they'll prove your point for you. But I guarantee they never looked it up. Why would they? They're not talking to you because they're interested in your opinion. Remember that. So there's a lot I want to get into, like the hydroplate theory, or the canopy theory, or fossils, or why frozen mammoths shouldn't exist, but they do, or why whole fossilized forests are found that cross supposedly millions of years of rock layers, or how many other ancient cultures had flood legends, spoiler, all of them, I think, or how the Chinese pictogram for boat is a vessel with eight people in it. All this stuff is really fascinating, and if you email me, I'll point you in some directions to do your own research. But just don't lose sight of the bigger picture, like how the Ark is really a type of Christ, and how there was only one Ark, nobody else built one, and there was only one door in it. And once that door was shut, all the other theological, philosophical, hermeneutical, epistemological arguments stopped. So anyway, chapter 8. The bad part of the flood is over, and the waters assuaged, meaning they receded. But that can also mean they were pacified or satisfied. There's a lot going on in that one word. Look it up in a concordance to get the full picture. And after 150 days, the waters finally abated. So we're 190 days in now. And the ark rested in the seventh month on the 17th day of the month upon the mountains of Ararat. And remember when I said there's no filler in the Bible? Well, why you reckon the Holy Spirit wants us to know that date? Well, it's complicated, and we hadn't read this far yet, but basically the Jews have a civil calendar that begins in Tishri in the fall, and Nisan is the seventh month. In Exodus, after the Passover, God told Moses to make Nisan the beginning of months. But that's not really relevant. The point is, the 17th of Nisan, when the ark rested, was also three days after the crucifixion, when Christ rose from the grave. Noah's new beginning and our new beginning in Christ are the same day. And that's the kind of thing you'll miss if you get lost in creationism. Anyway, Noah. Three more months and he could see the tops of the mountains. Forty more days, and Noah sends out a raven and a dove. And the raven don't come back, but the dove does. And my understanding is, ravens eat carrion and have no problem with nesting in dead trees and stuff. Doves do not. They want live trees and cleanliness. So apparently, the raven found somewhere to hang out and some dead bodies to eat, but the dove didn't. So Noah knew they couldn't get out yet. And I don't know how he figured out to do that, but that's genius. In verse 10, and he stayed yet another seven days, and again he sent forth the dove out of the ark. He's probably doing this on the Sabbaths, maybe. And the dove came back with an olive leaf. So life is coming back, but we're not ready yet. And he stayed yet another seven days, and sent forth the dove, which returned not again unto him any more. So, time to go. Verse 13, and it came to pass in the six hundredth and first year, in the first month, in the first day of the month, the waters were dried up from off the earth. 377 days they were in that box. And Noah removed the covering of the ark, and looked, and behold, the face of the ground was dry, or dry enough anyway. And God tells him, get out and turn all the animals loose, and he does. And the second thing he does is build an altar and sacrifice some of the clean animals to the Lord. And again, how did he know to do that? Or even what animals were clean? Because it was Moses who gave the law. Unless Noah had some inside info, 
or Judaism is way older than we've been told. In verse 22, God says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. So we have seasons now. Some people say we didn't have seasons before the flood because of the canopy, which I'm not getting into, but maybe that's true. And in chapter 9, you know, there's a lot of things that changed after the flood. Like in verse 3, it says, Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. So we can eat meat now. And verse 6, Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God made he man. And this is basically God's blessing on human government. He tells them how he wants it set up, but this is the first time he says we're to take care of it ourselves. And verse 11 says, And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. So the Lord's promise to never again destroy the earth with a flood, which means this couldn't have been a local flood, because that's happened lots of times since then. And the token of this promise of no more global floods is the rainbow. And Barry Setterfield, the guy who figured out that light was slowing down, he says it might have taken this long for light to slow down enough so that it could refract enough for us to see a rainbow. So that's weird. And verse 20, And Noah began to be an husbandman, and he planted a vineyard. So we're moving on. And enough time passes for him to plant a vineyard, harvest his grapes, and make wine, which he then drank and got hammered and passed out naked in his tent. And some people say that nothing would even ferment until after the flood. And Noah had no intention of getting drunk. But I don't see how that's possible. In verse 22, And Ham, the father of Canaan, saw the nakedness of his father, and told his two brethren without. And Shem and Japheth took a garment, and laid it upon both their shoulders, and went backward, and covered the nakedness of their father. And their faces were backward, and they saw not their father's nakedness. And there's a lot of theories about what's going on here. Like Ham was maybe making a power play with this disrespectful act. And some of the other theories are pretty off color. But I just think it means what it says. Ham had no respect and no loyalty for his father and belittled him in public. In verse 24, And Noah awoke from his wine and knew what his younger son had done unto him. I wonder how. And he said, Cursed be Canaan, a servant of servants shall he be unto his brethren. So why curse Canaan if Ham was the problem? I suggest it wasn't a curse but a prophecy. Because he then involves the other two kids. He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. God shall enlarge Japheth, and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And Noah lived after the flood 350 years, and all the days of Noah were 950 years, and he died. And then in chapter 10, this is what they call the table of nations. And the idea is Ham, Shem, and Japheth reproduce and fill the earth, and all their kids and grandkids form the nations of the earth. And like everything else in the Bible we skip over, this is a gold mine of weirdness. And I'd love to go through all 70 of these names, but we can't. I would like to point out that it's 70 names, which is 7 times 10. And this is God doing things in sevens again. I will say that Japheth's people settled Europe and Asia. And Ham's people migrated south to like northern Africa and Arabia. And the Shemites were obviously all the Semitic people. And there's one verse in particular, verse 25, it says, And unto Eber were born two sons. The name of one was Peleg, for in his days was the earth divided. And his brother's name was Joktan. In his days was the earth divided. Some people say this means that this is when all the continents split apart. Maybe, I don't know. Others say it refers to the confusion of tongues, which we're going to get to later. But y'all can figure that out. 
And I just want to point out that Nimrod was in Ham's bloodline, his grandson through Cush, not Canaan. And I also want to point out all the blessing going on here. The blessing returns after the flood with Noah. God blesses Noah and every living thing that comes off the ark. See chapter 8, verse 17, be fruitful, multiply. Chapter 9, verse 1, be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. Now this is to Noah and a seed. Be fruitful, multiply, replenish the earth. And instead of subdue the earth and have dominion, we have chapter 9, verse 2. The fear and dread of man shall be upon all livestock. Their meat for man, not just the clean animals either, all the animals. And in chapter 9, verse 7, be ye fruitful and multiply, bring forth abundantly in the earth and multiply therein. Now dominion or authority was stolen by Satan. Man still had the responsibility for the earth, but lost the authority until Jesus took it back after the cross. And the promise sealed with a rainbow was made to everyone, man and beast, that got off the ark. See chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. God even promised the animals no more flood. And then in the New Testament, we read Matthew four twelve through 25. And Jesus just got done being tempted. And when he gets back to town, he hears his cousin John the Baptist is in jail, which Matthew also chooses to just blow by. So Jesus leaves Nazareth for Capernaum which is on the seacoast in the borders of Zabulon and Nephthalim. And Matthew quotes the prophecy that this fulfills. He's helpful like that. So now that Jesus is baptized and he's 30 years old, he can start to preach. And he does. Pretty much the same message as John. He goes around saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's just telling it from the first person now. And down by the Sea of Galilee, he hooks up with these two professional fishermen, Simon and Andrew. They're brothers. And he said to them, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And they didn't even punch out. They just walked off with him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee and John, his brother, in a ship with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them and they were like, see ya and left their dad sitting right there. So I guess when you know, you just know. And Jesus went all around Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all manner of sickness and all manner of disease among the people, which had to blow everybody's mind. And it made him famous. And everybody and their brother brought unto him all sick people that were taken with diverse diseases and torments, and those which were possessed with devils, and those which were lunatic, and those that had the palsy, and he healed them. And he started drawing big crowds. Verse 25 says, There followed him great multitudes. In the Greek, that's big crowds. (laughs) And I want to point out that Matthew differentiates between those which were possessed with devils and those which were lunatic, because they're not always the same thing. Sometimes they are, but not always. So discernment when you're doing spiritual warfare is very, very important. Okay, so when the time was reached, Jesus simply said, follow me. And they stopped what they were doing. They left their occupation to follow him. They were still fishermen, taxmen, whatever, but it was no longer their career, their business, or their livelihood. Their skill sets, whatever they were, now were dedicated to the Lord and to His work. So, if we hear His voice, we don't need to harden our hearts, but we should follow Him. What if one of them had said, Hey, give me a minute. I'm almost done. How about I meet you at the house? Well, we know what happened to the guy that wanted to wait for his inheritance for his father's death, before following the Lord. 
And then in Psalms, we read Psalm 4, 1 through 8. And that's to the chief musician on Neganoth, and it's a Psalm of David. And he's praying for all the people that don't worship God, basically. Verse 2 says, O ye sons of men, how long will ye turn my glory into shame? How long will ye love vanity and seek after leasing? Leasing means lying or a lie. He says the Lord listens to his people, so stand in awe and sin not, which is pretty much all God ever asked. He says there may be many that say, who will shew us any good? Well, if you'll just act right, then the Lord will lift up the light of his countenance upon us and put gladness in my heart, more than in the time that their corn and their wine increased. Yeah. So verse four, stand in awe, sin not, commune with your own heart upon your bed and be still. Verse 5, offer the sacrifices of righteousness and put your trust in the Lord. And I think this pertains to talking to your heart, convincing it to be in awe, to not sin, to be still. These actions, words, are sacrifices, determining to put trust in the Lord by doing what he says. These sacrifices will go a long way in keeping us from getting caught up in the winds of the day because we look to the Lord for good. And then in Proverbs, we read Proverbs 1, 20-23. And I'm not going to read the whole thing, but basically he's saying wisdom is standing out in the street, screaming at you, begging y'all not to be stupid. Just listen, and things will go so much better. But guess what most of us choose? And in the complete Jewish Bible, verse 22 goes this way. Wisdom calls out, How long, you whose lives have no purpose, will you love thoughtless living? How long will scorners find pleasure in mocking? How long will fools hate knowledge? Stop following folly. She's a death trap. Repent, turn around, and wisdom will pour out her spirit on you and make her words known to you. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. Thanks for your help, babe. Our reading in the Old Testament for January 5th is Genesis 11:1 1 through 13:4. And the whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them throughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower, whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower, which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language. And this they begin to do, and now nothing will be restrained from them, which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth. And from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. These are the generations of Shem. Shem was an hundred years old, and begat Arphaxad two years after the flood. And Shem lived after he begat Arphaxad five hundred years, and begat sons and daughters. And Arphaxad lived five and thirty years, and begat Salah. And Arphaxad lived after he begat Salah four hundred and three years, and begat sons and daughters. And Salah lived thirty years, and begat Eber. And Salah lived after he begat Eber four hundred and three years, and begat sons and daughters. And Eber lived four and thirty years, and begat Peleg. 
And Eber lived after he begat Peleg 430 years and begat sons and daughters. And Peleg lived 30 years and begat Reu. And Peleg lived after he begat Reu 209 years and begat sons and daughters. And Reu lived two and thirty years and begat Serug. And Reu lived after he begat Serug two hundred and seven years and begat sons and daughters. And Serug lived thirty years and begat Nahor. And Serug lived after he begat Nahor two hundred years and begat sons and daughters. And Nahor lived nine and twenty years and begat Terah. And Nahor lived after he begat Terah a hundred and nineteen years and begat sons and daughters. And Terah lived seventy years, and begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah begat Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran begat Lot. And Haran died before his father Terah in the land of his nativity, in Ur of the Chaldees. And Abram and Nahor took them wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah, and the father of Iscah. But Sarai was barren, she had no child. And Terah took Abram his son, and Lot the son of Haran his son's son, and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth with them from Ur of the Chaldees to go into the land of Canaan. And they came unto Haran and dwelt there. And the days of Terah were two hundred and five years, and Terah died in Haran. Chapter 12 Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country, and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will shew thee, and I will make of thee a great nation. And I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse them that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. So Abram departed as the Lord had spoken unto him. And Lot went with him. And Abram was seventy and five years old when he departed out of Haran. And Abram took Sarai his wife, and Lot his brother's son, and all their substance that they had gathered, and the souls that they had gotten in Haran. And they went forth to go into the land of Canaan. And into the land of Canaan they came. And Abram passed through the land unto the place of Sichem, unto the plain of Morah. And the Canaanite was then in the land. And the Lord appeared unto Abram and said, Unto thy seed will I give this land. And there builded he an altar unto the Lord, who appeared unto him. And he removed from thence unto a mountain on the east of Bethel, and pitched his tent, having Bethel on the west, and Hai on the east. And there he builded an altar unto the Lord, and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed, going on still toward the south. And there was a famine in the land. And Abram went down into Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was grievous in the land. And it came to pass, when he was come near to enter into Egypt, that he said unto Sarai his wife, Behold now, I know that thou art a fair woman to look upon. Therefore it shall come to pass, when the Egyptians shall see thee, that they shall say, This is his wife, and they will kill me, but they will save thee alive. Say, I pray thee, thou art my sister, that it may be well with me for thy sake, and my soul shall live because of thee. And it came to pass that when Abram was come into Egypt, the Egyptians beheld the woman that she was very fair. The princes also of Pharaoh saw her, and commended her before Pharaoh. And the woman was taken into Pharaoh's house. And he entreated Abram well for her sake. And he had sheep and oxen, and he asses, and men servants, and maid servants, and she asses and camels. And the Lord plagued Pharaoh and his house with great plagues because of Sarai, Abram's wife. And Pharaoh called Abram and said, What is this that thou hast done unto me? Why didst thou not tell me that she was thy wife? Why saidst thou she is my sister? So I might have taken her to me to wife. Now therefore behold thy wife, take her and go thy way. And Pharaoh commanded his men concerning him, and they sent him away and his wife and all that he had. 
Chapter 13 And Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife, and all that he had, and lot with him into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle, in silver and in gold. And he went on his journeys from the south even to Bethel, unto the place where his tent had been at the beginning, between Bethel and Hai, unto the place of the altar which he had made there at the first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. And our reading in the New Testament for January 5th is Matthew 5, 1-26. And seeing the multitudes, he went up into a mountain. And when he was set, his disciples came unto him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Ye are the salt of the earth, but if the salt have lost his savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing, but to be cast out and to be trodden under foot of men. Ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on an hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Let your light so shine before men, that they may see your good works, and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled." Whosoever, therefore, shall break one of these least commandments, and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hell fire. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy brother hath aught against thee, leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, Thou shalt by no means come out thence, till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. Our reading in Psalms for January 5th is Psalm 5, 1-12. To the chief musician upon Naaloth, a psalm of David. Give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my meditation. Hearken unto the voice of my cry, my King and my God. For unto thee will I pray. My voice shalt thou hear in the morning, O Lord. In the morning will I direct my prayer unto thee, and will look up. For thou art not a God that hath pleasure in wickedness. Neither shall evil dwell with thee. The foolish shall not stand in thy sight. Thou hatest all workers of iniquity. Thou shalt destroy them that speak leasing. The Lord will abhor the bloody and deceitful man. But as for me, 
I will come into thy house in the multitude of thy mercy, and in thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. Lead me, O Lord, in thy righteousness because of mine enemies. Make thy way straight before my face, for there is no faithfulness in their mouth. Their inward part is very wickedness. Their throat is an open sepulcher. They flatter with their tongue. Destroy thou them, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Cast them out in the multitude of their transgressions, for they have rebelled against thee. But let all those that put their trust in thee rejoice. Let them ever shout for joy, because thou defendest them. Let them also that love thy name be joyful in thee. For thou, Lord, wilt bless the righteous. With favor wilt thou compass him as with a shield. And our reading in Proverbs for January 5th is Proverbs 1, 24-28. Because I have called, and ye refused, I have stretched out my hand, and no man regarded. But ye have set at naught all my counsel, and would none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when your fear cometh, when your fear cometh as desolation, and your destruction cometh as a whirlwind, when distress and anguish cometh upon you. Then shall they call upon me, but I will not answer. They shall seek me early, but they shall not find me. And that's got it for the fifth. Okay, y'all, let's do our 30-second meditation. Today's prayer is about 2 Peter 2, verse 1, which says, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. So hit the 30-second back button on your podcast player a few times and meditate with me for a little while on false teachers getting the greater condemnation, because prayer is the heavy artillery in the armor of God. So if you're ready, let's go. Father God, Peter the Apostle warned us about false teachers, and there are as many today as in his time. James tells us that those who teach falsely or in error shall receive the greater condemnation. Father, many of us are zealous to reach the lost, but in our zeal we risk spilling the banks of your word and truth. Help us to bridle our tongues and take every thought captive, and let us never lead anyone the slightest bit astray from your path and the truth of your gospel message. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, that's all the Bible yawling I got for you tonight. Thank you, Father, for letting us study your word and for the gift of salvation through your Son, Jesus Christ. Please bless and take care of everybody who's listening and let this podcast be of some kind of help to them. You can look for us on Podbean, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Amazon, Google CastBox, and Facebook. If you like what we're doing and you want to support it, what I really need is for y'all to pray for me and Bible Y'all Squall and all our friends and family. And if y'all got any prayer requests, send them to BibleYallPodcast at gmail.com. Otherwise, just go on out and try to make the world a better place. And if you can't make things any better, just try not to make things any worse. Thanks, everybody, and God bless y'all. Hey, Bible, y'all. But that's the end of our review of yesterday's study. No, it's not. No, it's not, isn't it? Because <laughs> uh, there's so much space here. I yeah, I know. There's problems. <laughs> Taking forever.